the gospel that we just heard. John the Baptist, at this point, has been arrested by Herod, thrown into prison, and it will not be long before John is beheaded. And it was not that much before this, at the beginning of John's ministry, when John pointed to Jesus as he went by, and John said to some of his own disciples, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John, who leapt in the womb of his own mother when Mary visited Elizabeth, who herself was at that point carrying the Savior within her. So what's happened now that John is sending this question to Jesus? Are you the one who is to come? Or should we look for another? Some people, uh, some commentators on this, don't even want to go there in terms of, of, of could John actually be struggling and wrestling in such a way that he would ask that question? I remember one commentary I read said, of course we know there's no way that John had any doubts, had any second thoughts or anything like that at all. John was, was asking this for the sake of his own disciples. But of course, John, John was completely solid, as if John's saying, you know, to Jesus, are you the one who is to come? I'm asking for a friend. You know, like, like John is like, I, you know, it's not me. I'm, I'm asking for someone else. But I, I think for me, it, it, it's, not, it, it's not out of the realm at all, a possibility that John who we heard last week, was really expecting the Messiah to begin his ministry with that, that blaze of God's justice and wrath. Last week we heard John say to the crowds who were unwilling to, to repent, especially the, the religious leaders, he said to them, even now the axe lies at the root of the trees. You're the tree. And unless you repent, the Savior, he, he's ready to take you out. So John had a certain set of expectations, but Jesus, Jesus, maybe he didn't meet that fully, what John was expecting. And so now, in prison, on the eve of his own death, something seems to be going on inside of John where he feels this need to send that question out to Jesus. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we look for another? Jesus responds and sends the message back to John. Tell John. So that, that for me says, John's not just asking on behalf of his disciples. It's a legitimate question he's asking, and that's why Jesus makes sure the word gets back to, to John himself. But he tells the disciples of John, tell them what you see and hear. The lame walk, the deaf hear, the mute speak, and the poor have the good news proclaimed to them. Jesus is referring back to the very prophecy of Isaiah that we have in the first reading today. But maybe John, who certainly would have known that prophecy, 
Maybe John had that prophecy kind of at a, at a lower level on the list, but rather maybe at the top of the list for John was he's coming with fire, with vengeance, with justice in this very moment. And when that didn't happen, perhaps that caused John to, to wrestle a bit with it. I think when you look at the lives of so many of the saints, we know that this kind of wrestling, even in the, in the face of these great promises that God has made, like so many of the saints have struggled in the same way. I mean, going to St. Paul. St. Paul, it's so beautiful because he just, he lets us know all of the different struggles that he has. But even up in a bit more contemporary way, one of the best-known saints of this past century has been St. Therese of Lisieux, the Carmelite nun, known as the little flower, the little child. We, there's a, a stained-glass window of her in, in the back sacristy here, although the, her name is misspelled. But um, a lot of people think of, of her as just this you know, kind of perfect, pristine saint. What most people don't know or, or forget is that on her deathbed, she died when she was 24 from tuberculosis, she shared with her sisters, and in some of her own writing that she could still scribble out, she faced the, the, the most incredibly painful doubts and temptations against faith that you could ever imagine someone having to endure. She said to her sisters that it feels as if the doors of heaven are shut against me. And when I think about everything I've hoped for throughout my life, in terms of eternal life, all that I see is just darkness. She heard voices that told her, everything that you've hoped for, it's all just a dream. When you die, you will not die into eternal life. You will die into nothingness. And these severe doubts plagued her on her deathbed. So to, for, to someone who might say, well, I just can't believe that John would have wrestled with this, I would say, look, just look at the saints. Like, we wrestle with this. And if you imagine that they don't, then what do you do when you, when you do wrestle with it? So I, I mention all of this because these days of Advent are meant to be a time when the Lord gets stirred up in us this real profound expectant hope. Lord, do in me, in my life, right now, the very things that you've promised. Where my heart is frightened, give strength. Where sin has me paralyzed, give me life, get, get me going again. Where a relationship has become lame or crippled, bring healing. That's what these days of Advent are all about, to stir up hope in us where we would say, Lord, I believe that you can do it, and I believe that you want to do it in me. But what do you do when the Lord is saying, be hopeful, but we find ourselves struggling for whatever, whatever the cause might be? So first of all, I, it's important just to know that we struggle, and that, just, that happens. And so I would say, first, 
Don't think necessarily that you're doing something wrong if in the face of these very great promises of God, you find yourself struggling. If you find yourself asking the question that John did, Lord, are, are you the one who is to come? But then, beyond that, two things to encourage you. One, remember that the promises that he has made to us, as great and as beautiful as they, as they are, and although to some they might seem like, wow, this just seems too good to be true, I mean, could it really be that the Lord's plan is, is eventually to completely renew everything and restore everything? It seems like maybe it, it is too good to be true. To that, we've got to hold on to this truth. It, it is not too good to be true. The Lord really is and, and will completely fulfill his promises. And we, we should have more confidence in that than the people who heard Isaiah when he first preached and, and, and wrote these things. On that side of, of the timeline, they could say, well, we don't know what God is doing. We don't know how he's going to fulfill it. And Isaiah, this, this sounds really great, but you know, maybe this is all just kind of hyperbole. Maybe you're just painting a really dramatic picture to make a point. But for us, we live on the other side of what Christ has done. And when we look at the cross, we can say, Lord, you really are fulfilling this, and you're going beyond what Isaiah could have ever imagined. I mean, could, could any of the ancient prophets have ever believed that the Son of God would come down, would take on human flesh, and that God himself would go to the cross, the sinless one, the creator, and die for the creature? I don't think you'll, you, you won't find anyone in the Old Testament who was that, that bold. So it's not too good to be true. He's really doing it. And I, I, I want to encourage you to hope in that. And don't be afraid to set your heart on that. Because again, we know he's already shown us this much how much he loves us. And so it is for real. It's not too good to be true. Now the second thing, the second encouragement is this. He is fulfilling his promises. He is good for his word. He is faithful. But how he fulfills the promises are probably going to be different than what you expect. That's why Jesus sends the word back to John at the end of the passage here. He says... Blessed is the one who takes no offense at me. John, do not be offended that I'm doing it differently than you expected. Don't be offended at that. And that's a good word for us to hear. We need to hear that. All of us end up having for God certain expectations a timeline that we think he should abide by, a way of doing things that we think he, he should adhere to. But our scope, you know, what our heart sees is so narrow. 
He sees the big picture. And yes, inevitably, because he's God and we're not, he's going to do things differently. But when that happens, are you willing, are we willing to let go of our own expectations and let him do it according to his perfect plan, not ours? There's a danger here because sometimes it, it, we can just way too easily hold on to our expectations. And, you know, there are a lot of people who carry in their heart a real anger or disappointment toward God because he didn't do it the way that they were certain it needed to be done. And rather than simply letting go of the way they thought the Lord should have worked, they hold on to it and they spend a lifetime growing in the resentment of God. That's, that's not a good place to be. So today, the, the real simple encouragement that I want to give to you is that the Lord, he, he is at work. He wants to be more and more at work in our lives. I mean, right in the mess of it all. And I, I want to encourage you, hope, as we get closer to Christmas, that those real areas of your life that need him, that, that he wants to be at work there. And as you do that, remember, he, he is faithful to his word. He is. And we, we know that. Because we know what he's already done on the cross. And at the same time that we hold to his faithfulness, we also need to be willing to let go of our own expectations. Lord, I know that you're going to be at work in my life. I know it. But I don't know exactly how or when or in what way. So I'm going to hold on in faith that you're going to work, but I'm going to let go of the plan for how you're going to do it. This is so important because if we, if we don't let the Lord kind of stretch us out in those two areas of both faith and letting go of our own expectations, we can ask the question that John did, should we look for another? And then without faith or unwilling to let go of our, of our own expectation, we may end up looking for another if God doesn't do it the way that we think he should. And that's when life just gets super messy. When we put our hope for all that needs to happen in our life on another human being or in stuff or in circumstances, that will only end up often like a great train wreck in our life. When the deep things that need to happen in our life that only a Savior can do, we end up looking for another to do it. So there's a lot at stake here. But as we move into these later days of Advent, let's pray and ask the Lord, Lord, give us a tremendous hope in your faithfulness. But let us not expect you to do it the way that we think that you should do it.